welcome to the Labor Force Podcast. I'm Mike Strukin, teacher, union officer, working in upstate New York, member of New York State United Teachers, the largest, most impactful state federation in the country, marking 50 years this year. Cornell University researchers are out this week with a report that puts another spear into the heart of working people from the hand of capitalism. Fewer than 40% of New Yorkers earn a living wage. In a blue state, that's mighty deep in the red then for a majority of people whose daily grind is so separated from politics or what they actually provide, it's laughable. The write-up explains, A digital wage atlas launched by Cornell researchers shows that fewer than 40% of New Yorkers earn at or above a living wage, including less than one-third among people of color and younger workers. Insights about New York's workforce generated by the Wage Atlas include Across the state, 39.1% earn at least a living wage, with white employees, 46%, faring significantly better than black, 29.7%, and Hispanic, 26%, employees. Among younger workers, 28.4% of those categorized as millennials and Gen Z earn a living wage. Accommodation and food services Part of the state's important tourism sector is the industry least likely to pay a living wage, with more than 52% of workers earning less. The top 20 jobs for earning a living wage range from podiatrists, 81.3%, to plan operators, 68.7%. The bottom 20 include cashiers, 13.5%, dishwashers, 8.3%, and textile machine operators, 3.9%. Manhattan boasts the state's highest percentage of residents, more than 80% earning a living wage. But a closer look at New York City presents a picture of economic inequality, with median effective hourly wages ranging from more than $50 in some Manhattan neighborhoods to $20 or less in some nearby communities. Meanwhile, our state legislators voted themselves a $32,000 pay raise just before Christmas, making them the highest paid lawmakers in the country. This follows a 38% raise they gave themselves in 2019. On the workers' side of things, New York is the second most unionized state in the country, narrowly behind Hawaii. But those unions are concentrated mainly in the public sector, including New York State United Teachers, my state federation, with more than 600,000 members across K-12, higher education, and health care. It turns 50 this year, as I note in my opening, And that's a long history of securing rights and benefits, including a salary scale commensurate with seniority. So, the longer you can hang on, and it's not been easy through the pandemic, and in dealing with its after effects on student behavior, learning loss, the more you earn. And a robust New York State teacher's retirement system provides a secure pension to our members when they finally step away. Now that we see labor rising as strong as it has in decades, Hopefully the tide can ultimately turn for these low-paid sectors if we can just turn the wheel of capitalism toward labor in another generational shift. It's not for lack of trying, as we continue to see. The massive nurses strike in New York City, case in point. The same old profiteering story. Private institutions, executives enrich themselves while everything burns. There's only so far that can go in the caring professions, where employees are invested in people not just a product sent down the assembly line. As a result of their action, the nurses secured a nearly 20% wage increase over three years, 
and an agreement to boost staffing, sorely needed. The likelihood of this happening voluntarily without a strike was positively zero. For unionized Starbucks workers and other massive corporate entity employees, the road to a contract negotiated in good faith remains long, but the movements remain steadfast. According to ABC News, contract negotiations at three Starbucks stores in Buffalo and Arizona began last spring. Since then, bargaining sessions have been held at 75 stores, but Starbucks has walked out on the meetings because it opposes having union officials joined by Zoom. In November, workers at over 100 stores went on strike in what they called the Red Cup Rebellion over Starbucks' refusal to bargain. They picked a day with significance for the company and its most loyal customers, November 17th, Red Cup Day, the one day in the year when the company gives out free, reusable holiday cups to promote its holiday drink menu. As Michigan organizer Grace Norris said, we showed them that we're a nationally coordinated movement and we're taking this very seriously. All we want to do is sit down and bargain our very reasonable demands. I think we made our message to Starbucks very clear, and now the ball is in their court. In late December, the Labor Board Seattle office filed a complaint alleging that Starbucks had failed to bargain with 21 stores in Oregon and Washington. Starbucks blames the union for delays, saying it hasn't responded when Starbucks proposes bargaining dates. A hearing before an administrative law judge at the NLRB is scheduled for June. So far, employees have voted to unionize at 274 stores, or 3% of Starbucks' 9,000 company-owned U.S. locations, according to the Labor Board. 63 stores have voted not to unionize. Regarding the Amazon union effort, a federal labor official this past Wednesday rejected Amazon's attempt to overturn the union victory at JFK 8 Warehouse on Staten Island removing a key obstacle to contract negotiations between the union and the company, the New York Times reports. In mid-November, a federal judge in New York issued an injunction requiring the company to cease and desist from firing workers for exercising their labor rights. The judge also forced company officials to read her order to workers at the warehouse. And let's look at another huge sector that joined the fold this past year. You may be familiar with the plight of minor league baseball players, Subject for decades to meager pay and tough working conditions, grinding for a shot at the majors. Sports Illustrated relates one of those situations, far, far from the glittering cathedral of Yankee Stadium. Trevor Hildenberger was taken out of Cal by the Twins in the 22nd round of the 2014 draft and received a signing bonus of $1,000, minus a few hundred taken out for taxes which meant that after he needed to replace a broken phone during his first week in rookie ball, his bonus was gone. At first, the San Jose native stayed in housing at the Twins Complex in Fort Myers, Florida, but it took $17 a day from his already meager paychecks. Hildenberger was left making just $185 every two weeks. At one point, he sat down with teammates to work out what their hourly wage was. They figured it couldn't be more than $2 an hour. The situation did not improve as he moved up through the ranks. At one point, Hildenberger slept in a closet, on a pull-out couch, an entire summer in a cockroach-infested apartment where the breaker tripped every time he and his teammates turned on the oven. They all knew Walmart's return policy by heart, 90 days to get their money back for items like air mattresses. They weren't paid for the weeks of work and spring training. Almost all of them had to work second or third jobs in the off-season while they continued to train. Hildenberger's was in a sporting goods store. 
and he had teammates whose situations were more dire, players who couldn't buy diapers for their babies or who left the game altogether to care for their families. The Real News recently sat down with Michelle Valentin Nieves, the executive secretary and a founding member of the Amazon Labor Union, and Harry Marino, an assistant general counsel at the Major League Baseball Players Association. He is formerly the executive director of Advocates for Minor Leaguers, the nonprofit that joined with the Major League Baseball Players Association to unionize minor leaguers. In this clip, they each offer advice for generating a movement in the workplace. Um, for any working people out there in their own jobs, maybe they're in the service industry, maybe they do home health care, right? I mean, but anyone who turns this on and hears you both, I guess after this year of intense struggle for Amazon workers, minor leaguers, there are uh, a thousand coal miners in Deep Red Alabama who have been on strike for over 600 days. Please don't forget about them. Shout out. Starbucks workers who have also been waging their own historic campaign and are facing a brutal scorched earth, blatant and illegal corporate crime wave, a union busting campaign from Starbucks for which they need to be held accountable. A lot has happened this year and we want to keep this momentum going. We need to keep this momentum going. So for anyone who turns this on and hears you, I guess, do you have any sort of messages for folks in their workplaces uh, about why they should do this and how doable it actually is? Um, I, well, my message is that it is, uh, it is doable. Everyone should do it uh, because you should care about your coworkers. Um, that's one of the reasons why I got involved in the first place. Not only was I going through a lot of bullshit at work, but a lot of my um, coworkers that I had worked with for, for you know, two or three years, um, I saw be, being uh, wrongfully terminated. A lot of people were um, injured at work. So that's one of the other reasons why I got involved was caring about my coworkers. And you know, you're already if you're already having the organizing conversations at work, which is you know things like you you feel like you're not being paid enough. You feel like you know there's just too much work or um, things that are happening that are unfair, favoritism. Um, you're not being heard. Uh, you know, there's there there isn't transparency with your employer, things of that nature. I think that everyone should just collectively get together and show solidarity as far as coworkers, and this should be for all jobs. It, you know, it's not fair that some people feel that they have a right to a union um, and some others don't because maybe they don't have the education or they don't have the background or there's a language barrier. I think that everyone um, should be able to have a union at work and it should always, you know, be a union of your coworkers so that it's fair um, and just try to have like just the basic organizing conversations and just stay focused um, and just work on your friendships at work because friendships at work really matter. You sp everyone spends a lot of time at work. And as much as you try to avoid it, you just you just can't. You're spending, you know, an average of 30 to 40, sometimes over 40 hours with a group of people. So it's really, really important to develop these friendships at work. Um, so that you have, you know, that support. Or if you have, you know, an abusive manager or an abusive boss, um, you guys are able to band together and stick up for each other um, because that's what unions are. It's this collective power. Um, you know, if one person goes, um, 
pretty much nothing's going to be done about it. But if you have a department of 500 people and all 500 of your coworkers show up to back you up, um, something's going to be done about it. That's just pretty much it. Or just have that type of relationship so that you're able, you know, to go on strike if you need to go on strike and have those type of conversations and just be able to be on the same page. But it should be done, you know, and I think in every single workplace for, for everyone, you know, fast food workers, nail techs, strippers, um, everyone, bartenders. It, sh it should, you know, it's, it shouldn't just, you know, it shouldn't just be, well, you know, some people have unions and some people have good jobs and some people have security. It should be like that for everyone. Everyone should be able to unionize if they want to. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would echo 100% of that. I completely agree. And I think, you know, the, the message I would give is that don't underestimate your own power. At the end of the day, um, you know, you can, you can do it. And I would also encourage people, be the leader in your workplace, right? Like, some people are waiting to be led. People are waiting to uh, jump in on something like that. It's hard to be the first person, but... We saw it in, in our campaign that, you know, it was, oh, this could never happen. There's no support out there to, you know, thousands of guys signing cards within 72 hours. And uh, ultimately, that, that support was there and that solidarity was there. Um, it was just sort of waiting to be unleashed. And the power absolutely was there. And I think that's something that is not just true in baseball or Amazon. It's, it's true everywhere. At the end of the day... The workers have, in any industry, have a tremendous amount of power. And to your point earlier, the greatest, you know, sort of trick that the employer plays is is making you think that you don't have that power. And I think really, at you know, if there's one thing that people should should realize, it's it's you do have the power. You can accomplish this. You know, some people are going to have to jump in first and take the lead. But uh, if that happens, uh, I think it can be done anywhere. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for Harry and Michelle. So kudos to Cornell for releasing this detailed information. They say they have plans to update the Atlas annually with new census and living wage data and are exploring its expansion to other states. You can check it out for yourself at blogs.cornell.edu slash livingwage or I posted the link in the description. The oligarchy is not a secret anymore. Even the Ivy League knows this. So thanks for listening. Stay healthy and well, and stay union strong. <laughs>